0: Tonight is study number 23 of Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal." And then the description continues on of Holy Jerusalem. And uh, let's begin by looking at the first part of verse 10, which says, And he carried me away in the Spirit. Referring back to one of the seven angels is carrying John away in the Spirit. And this is um, language that mostly identifies with um, several verses in the book of Ezekiel. and we'll just look at a couple, for instance, in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 14, it says, "So the spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of Jehovah was strong upon me." And this is uh, describing God, bringing revelation to the prophet Ezekiel long ago. And the revelation God was giving Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3 had to do with the Great Tribulation, the time of the end of the world. It says in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of Jehovah was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of Jehovah, And set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And the Lord here shows Ezekiel the valley of dry bones that um, God prophesies to. And they stand upon their feet. And one more verse in Ezekiel 43, verse 5. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of Jehovah filled the house. So um, that That's just a few of several verses in Ezekiel that um, are similar where God takes the prophet and carries him away by his spirit, and just as we have here in Revelation 21.10. And he carried me away in the spirit. And, and it, it's also God giving divine revelation to a prophet the Apostle John. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. In the Bible mountains can be used to typify kingdoms and in this case it's a great and high mountain to typify the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God uh, consists in in this instance of all the believers, the whole company, of the elect that God has saved, they are the kingdom of God, and it continues and and showed me that great city, the Holy Jerusalem, and we've discussed this uh, many times um, that the city that God built, that he calls Holy Jerusalem here is. A representation of everyone that he saved. Everyone whose name was written in the Lamb's book of life. As God saved all these people over the course of history he built up the holy city. It's a similar picture to building the house of God the temple of God, the building the wall in the book of Nehemiah it's construction spiritual construction of the a uh, complete body of Christ, which consists of everyone that God has saved, and it's it's a similar picture here. Now, John is shown um, that the great city, the holy or the New Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And remember, the previous verse in verse nine said, at at the end of the verse, "Come hither." I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And then verse 10 is, is the bride in view? Well, we're, we don't read about the bride in verse 10. God says, uh, I'll show you the bride in verse 9. And then in verse 10, uh, he shows John the holy Jerusalem. He shows him a city. And uh, actually from verse 11, pretty much throughout the rest of the chapter. It's going to be a detailed description of the holy city, Jerusalem, that great city. And the, where's the bride? Well, uh, we can understand this when we realize that the bride is the city. They're one and the same. They're equivalent. Uh, they're uh, synonyms that God is using. And actually... It's not an actual bride, and it's not an actual city. Both are teaching. The elect are in view, and not only uh, a portion of them, but all of them. It is the, the finished product of God's salvation program. He has saved everyone to be saved, and this is similar to what we read Back at the start of this chapter of Revelation 21, if we go back to verse 2, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. So there's the city, once again, coming down from God. And the word coming down is um, the same Greek word, or it's a translation of the same Greek word, that's translated as descending in verse 10 coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the Lord did it in verse 2 also. He he first shows the city, and then he speaks of it as the bride. And here in verses 9 and 10, he speaks of the bride and shows the city. It, it's one and the same. It, it's teaching the same truth that Um, The city of God is the bride of Christ. They they are the same spiritual entity that's in view. Well, it goes on to say in verse 11 of Revelation 21, "...having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal." Here the Lord is speaking of the holy Jerusalem, the the new Jerusalem, that city of God, the, the city that God built. According to Hebrews chapter 11, as it says, verse 10 of Hebrews 11, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder And maker is God. And also in verse sixteen of Hebrews eleven, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And and this is the city spiritually it is all of the people that God has saved. And this city is the city that's in view in verse 10, that the Holy Jerusalem, and verse 11 says, having the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? Uh, that, that the New Jerusalem, the Holy Jerusalem, possesses the glory of God. Well, obviously, someone might say, God is with them, and it's a glorious city. Yes, but it also has a particular meaning that helps us to understand the time we're living in and what God has done, and uh, when we understand what the glory especially is referring to. If we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4, we read of a time in Israel's history when Israel was rebellious. Of course, that's nothing new. They were often rebellious. But at this particular time, God was going to bring judgment on them by allowing their enemy to defeat them in battle and to capture the Ark of God. And this would actually be um, a historical parable. And one of the main reasons God permitted this was in order to teach what he would do at the end of time by giving up the churches, the corporate churches, to Satan, the enemy of God, and to allow the church to be taken captive by Satan and his forces. And and that's what the Philistines' capturing of the ark typified. It, it says um, in 1 Samuel 4:17, And the messenger answered, he was speaking to Eli, the high priest, and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there has been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. Now at the mention of the ark being taken, Eli, who was sitting on a post, fell over backwards and broke his neck and died. And, and so the, the bad news kept coming, and it was a indicator of being under the wrath of God to fall over backwards in the Bible, points to being under God's wrath. But concerning the taking of the ark, towards the end of the chapter, it says in verses 21 and 22, as we read of one of the wives of a son of Eli, the priest, it says, and she named the child Ichabod, she she had a child at that point in time when all these calamities were happening, saying that this is what uh, Ichabod means: the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, "The glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken." The presence of God was signified by the Ark. And once the Philistines took the Ark, it was as though the glory of God had departed from Israel. And that um, historical event pointed to the spiritual reality that the Holy Spirit would come out of the midst of the congregations giving up the church to Satan at the time of the end. But we're trying to understand what it means that the New Jerusalem has the glory of God. Having the glory of God. And the glory of God is typified by the ark. And the ark, um, remember, was placed in Solomon's completed temple. We read of this in Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles 5, and I'll read the first couple of verses and then a few other verses uh, in the chapter. Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of Jehovah was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of Jehovah out of the city of David, which is Zion. So the the temple, that, uh, that temple project uh, that David made preparations for, that began, the um, foundation was laid at, at the death of David in the year 967 B.C., in the fourth year of Solomon, And then it was completed some seven and a half years later. And that historical temple is a picture of God building up the body of believers. Just as the city uh, that we're reading of. It's a similar picture, a synonymous picture of building the house of God or building a city. And, And so in other words... Since Solomon's temple was completed, it points to God having saved everyone that was to be saved. There's no more people to be saved, is what it is spiritually teaching, because everyone to be saved has been saved. The house is finished. And once the house is finished, now bring up the ark. Bring up the ark which identifies with the glory of God. And... We read in verse 7 and 8, And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of Jehovah unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark, and the staves thereof above. So they, they bring the ark, they put it in its place, statement is made actually in the next verse, verse 9, it's there unto this day because it's teaching a, a spiritual reality, an eternal truth that God will always forever dwell in the midst of his people as the temple typifies the people of God and here comes God's indwelling presence with them forevermore just as we read earlier in Revelation 21 that that God will will be their God and they will be his people and he'll forever be with them. And then it says in verse eleven of Second Chronicles five, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified, and did not then wait by course. In verse thirteen it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking Jehovah and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised Jehovah saying for he is good for his mercy endureth forever that then the house was filled with a cloud even the house of Jehovah so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of Jehovah had filled the house of God then We again see the pattern. The house is complete. The ark representing the presence and the glory of God is placed within. And then the priests come out of the temple. No man can enter in. Remember, that's exactly the language of Revelation 15. Let's turn there now. It says in Revelation 15, in verse 6, And following, and the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four living creatures gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Now now notice again. The temple is filled with smoke. And what's another way of, of um, picturing smoke? A cloud. Just as the cloud filled the temple, and it was the glory of God when, when Solomon's temple was complete, now uh, we have a temple in heaven. So it's a spiritual temple. And the, the spiritual temple consists of, again, everyone God has saved. And out comes seven messengers, who are clothed in pure fine white linen, which is the righteousness of saints, so they are the true believers that are sent forth from the completed house, and the temples filled with smoke from the glory of God, which means God is now indwelling the house, indwelling the temple, the, the which is has to be complete. The ark isn't put into a half-finished temple or a three-quarters finished temple, but a completed temple. And then it says, And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled, i.e., no more salvation. The temple is complete. Why do we need to add some more stones to it if it has every stone that has that already had work performed on it at another location, and, and then brought to the temple, and that's how God did it. So no sound of a workman's hammer would be heard at the temple site, pointing to the fact that that those living stones added to the house of God were not built up based upon man's work, but were performed by the work of Christ. Well, um, let's also um, go back to Ezekiel 43. And we, we read a verse there earlier that's in the same section. I'd like to read again, beginning in verse 1 of Ezekiel 43. Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. And this would be the Spirit of God who's been bringing Ezekiel the prophet hither and thither taking him over here and over there to see visions and and to receive revelation from God. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shine with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision, which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell upon my face. And the glory of Jehovah came into the house by the way of the gate, that would be the east gate, whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of Jehovah filled the house. Now what do we know? What have we learned? That the house had to be finished, that, uh, again, Ezekiel is not describing Solomon's temple or Zerubbabel's temple that were actual uh, literal temples physically built at a point in history. Ezekiel's temple was never built. It was never a construction site in this world. Ezekiel's temple is a description of that spiritual temple of God it's a description of Holy Jerusalem, of the New Jerusalem. It's describing the building up of the body of believers. And so the, the glory of the of the Lord of Jehovah came into the house once the temple made up of all the, the elect was finished and then the glory of Jehovah filled the house. And it says in verse 6, And I heard him speaking unto me out of the house, and the man stood by me. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile, neither they, nor their kings by their whoredom, nor by their carcasses, of their kings and their high places. And the language is eternal because it is this spiritual house, this eternal city of God. And uh, just since we're here, let's look at Ezekiel 44. And uh, the first couple of verses, Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looketh toward the east. And it was shut. That's the gate that um, the the glory of God entered in through, and and that's the prospect toward the east because the east is the direction that identifies with the kingdom of heaven, and and God entered in and filled the house. At what point? When the house is finished, the spiritual house of God that that God says in Hebrews three, whose house are we? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, comes in. The glory fills the house of believers. And then the smoke fills the house. No man is able to enter in any longer. There is no more salvation. Therefore, the door is shut. The gate is shut. And it says in verse 2, Then said Jehovah unto me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be open, And no man... "...shall enter in by it, because Jehovah, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince, and that will be the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall sit in it to eat bread before Jehovah. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate, and shall go out by the way of the same." So once God enters in, he's the last. He, he's the final one to enter in to the house. And then the gate is shut. The door is shut. Not to be open for man. It is now a gate for Christ alone. And no men are permitted into the house. We read that in Second Chronicles 5. When the ark went in, men came out. We read it in Revelation 15. The seven messengers came out of the temple. No man was able to enter into the temple till they poured out those plagues. And and again, the cloud or the smoke filled the house with the glory of God. So the teaching of the Bible is on May 21, 2011. God completed his salvation program. He built up the house or or the city Jerusalem, and he entered in by way of the east, and he shut the door of heaven. And now no man is able to enter into heaven until the seven last vials full, of the seven last plagues are poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth, and it's the true believers, the, the spiritual priests of God that are involved in that process of pouring out the plagues as they share the bible's information. Thanks for joining us for E-Bible Fellowship's evening Bible studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Talk Skype, E-Bible Fellowship's webcast audio or over your phone.